and uh, we are going to look at our third part of this uh, message that I started that's called, That I May Know Him, That I May Know Him. And there's different aspects of knowing Christ. We looked at knowing the person of Christ, uh, and then we looked at knowing the power of Christ, and today I'm going to talk about knowing the persecution of Christ, the persecution of Christ. This should be our favorite, amen? We all want to suffer, don't you? Well, he's amazing with the Apostle Paul. You look at verse number 10. It says in verse chapter 3, verse number 10, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable unto his death. So he wanted to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me in this message today. Give me the power I need to bring it forth in a spiritual manner that will bring sense to the heart, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would help each one here in whatever area they need it according to this message. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone that's lost, that, Lord, they would be saved this morning. Just build us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So knowing the persecution of Christ... The word fellowship, when he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings, means a partnership. So a fellowship of his sufferings means that I want to partner with the sufferings of Christ. Now the word suffering is an interesting word as well. In fact, in the scripture, Jesus said one time to the disciples, uh, suffer it to be so now. So you, suffering means to allow uh, when they were keeping the children from coming to him, uh, suffer the little children to come unto me. So the word suffer can be made, it means to allow something, but it also means, and this is the definition I have here, it's a loss or a forfeiture. To suffer means to lose something. It means to allow something and allow yourself to lose something. It's interesting when Paul is saying that I want a partnership with the sufferings of Christ, he's saying, I want to be in partnership with your loss, with what you lost. And I want to identify with that. Now, there's something in, in our human nature we hate losing. We don't want to lose things. We want to gain things. Our flesh is all about gaining. We want money. We want possessions. We want relationships. We want, well, whatever, we want it, <laughs> and we, we go to get it. And so loss is something that we rarely will talk about, set aside actually desiring it to know it and to identify or partner with what Jesus Christ lost when he went to the cross of Calvary for us. And so this is a very powerful message. So I want to talk today a little bit about losing and a little bit about suffering because of be, uh, just for the fact of being a Christian and living your life as a Christian. And we need to understand something, no matter where you are in life, no matter what area or what class you're in or how rich or poor you are, if you are walking with the Lord and you are wanting to follow the principles of Scripture, you are in some way being persecuted. Now, if you're not then we need to examine why. Maybe it's uh, I've been hiding myself. I don't let people know that I'm a Christian, nor do I really put it out there that I'm following the principles of the Scripture. 
But I'm going to tell you more and more in this wicked world that we live in, we're going to be sticking out like a sore thumb. Because you will not be doing what all the, your friends will do. You'll not be going to the places that everybody wants to go. You'll not be partaking in the things that people just naturally partake in. You'll say things like, no, I don't go there. And they're like, well, why not? And that's when the interrogation begins. Now you can, at that point, you can say, oh, well, it's just my preference. Or you can say, thus saith the Lord. But when you say, thus saith the Lord, you've just really rocked the boat. <laughs> Amen. And that's when the persecution begins. And so the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So the qualifier for the persecution is living godly. If you don't live godly, then you won't suffer persecution. So that's your way out. You just don't live godly, you know. But those of us that want to please the Lord and we want to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ and we want to bring honor and glory to the name of our God, we decide purposely to live godly and we decide purposely to suffer because of it. And it, it doesn't cause us to shrink back when we do suffer for it. And that's what we need to, that's why we need messages like this. So we can be here today and say, well, preacher, I'm not really suffering for Jesus at all. Well, if you're living godly, you will. It's going to come. And if you're not suffering because you're not living godly, well, then your trouble is going to come later when you look at the Lord's eyes, when you meet him. I would much rather look this world in the eye and have them call me every dirty name in the book than to look in my Lord's eyes one time, realizing that I squandered this life that he purchased for me, you know? And those are the decisions we need to make as believers today. And so I want to read you a passage here in 2 Thessalonians. The church at Thessalonica was a young church when he wrote 1 Thessalonians. In fact, it is said that it was probably the first epistle that he wrote in the New Testament was the epistle to the Thessalonian church. And so what he said there was very new to everybody. It was new doctrine, and it was to a new church. In fact, the church is probably no, no older than three months old. That means that these, the members of this church, including the leadership, were only three months old in the Lord. And yet, the things that he said to them was astounding because he says, I've heard of your faith throughout all the regions of Macedonia. But in that three months after they got saved, they had already spread their faith throughout the whole then-known world. That little church of three months old. And so he goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians, if you look at Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians deals with the first phase of second, Christ's second coming, that's the rapture. 2 Thessalonians deals with the second phase, and that is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he sets his foot upon the Mount of Olives. And so that's a big event. That's why it's talking about the Antichrist and different things in 2 Thessalonians. And that's why it's talking about the secret rapture in 1 Thessalonians, all right? And so, it says here in verse number 1 of chapter 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. 
That's powerful. What he's saying is church is our faith growing where he says it's exceedingly. And he says, is the charity of every one of you abounding towards one another? Are you loving people here more or less? Is what he's saying. That's a great passage there. He's, he's noticing these things about this young church. It says here, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So he's saying that we're glorying in the fact that as a young church, you are exhibiting this patience and faith in all of the persecutions that you're facing. And the word persecution just simply means an affliction or a pursuing after. So when he's saying you're being persecuted, it's like someone is chasing you. Amen? And that's what it feels like sometimes as a Christian when you're doing right. Amen? And it says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. When you suffer for living right, it is a manifest token of the judgment of God. And then he looks at you, you are showing everybody that you're worthy of this kingdom that I'm calling you to. Suffering, suffering. Oh, woe to the Christian that says, oh, I don't want to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> well, the Bible says, then you're not truly worthy. Now, you could be saved, and you're going to heaven, but the Lord doesn't look at you as worthy because you're not willing to suffer for his name's sake. Amen? It goes on to say, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished and with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Oh, there's a day, the Bible says, where God will, Jesus Christ, will be glorified in his saints. He'll be admired. Christ will be admired in you. That's what he's telling them there. One day when Jesus Christ comes again, you're being there, suffering for his namesake is a testimony of the greatness of Christ. And I'll tell you something, you will bring glory to his name. And he will glorify himself in you in that day. What a powerful day. He says, hey, don't worry, folks. I'm coming. In flaming vengeance, I will take vengeance on those that have troubled you. I will deal with those wicked people that don't want to follow Christ, that don't want to follow the word of God. I know it's a hard thing because today we've been taught, oh no, we just tolerate ourselves. Folks, there's a judgment on those that will not obey the gospel, will not receive Christ. Those that now are attacking believers and attacking Christians because they believe the word of God. Folks, you know, one day Jesus Christ will deal with them. Yet today you must suffer. Today your boss on the job that maybe is an atheist or 
maybe doesn't care about God and he sees you praying for your meal or he sees you opening your Bible at break time. Maybe those co-workers that are making fun of you because you're a Bible thumper. Don't worry about it. The Bible says that one day that Christ will be glorified in you. And all those eyes will see it. All those eyes will see it. You know what they'll do? They'll look back at the day that they mocked you and they'll say, you know what, how wrong I was. I should have joined them in their Bible reading. I should have protected that one from the mockery of those fellow workers and the boss. And so, folks, you're going to go through things like that. But for now, we suffer. For now, we suffer. It's just a part of what God is doing. It's a part of what you need to understand as a part of your Christian life. I just want to talk about a couple of things about truths about suffering for Christ. The first one is this. Suffering with Jesus should be expected by God's people. It ought not be something that you're surprised with. It ought to be something you expect. As you keep walking with God and doing the right thing, you will find opposition. It will come, it will find you. That's what persecution is. It's pursuing after. You can try to hide yourself, it'll find you right there. Amen. In Acts 14, verse 22, it says this, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We have to go through much tribulation as we enter in, the Bible says. In fact, the word tribulation means pressure from evils. It means affliction or distress. That's what we have to go through as we enter into the kingdom of God. It's a part of our calling by God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is tr to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. <laughs> See, folks, many times we get offended. We get offended at our suffering. In fact, most people do. They don't know how to handle their suffering, right? That's how most bitterness starts. Bitterness in your heart usually begins with suffering. You suffering at the hands of somebody else. And many times it's an unfair suffering. It's where you didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happened to you. Amen. So because of that, because of my lack of understanding, the suffering that's happening to me, I in turn become bitter. I in turn become angry in my soul. I become a very poor Christian, by the way. And at that point, I begin to blame. And now the rest of my life, I'm blaming others for my hardships. I become a victim. And every day I'm a victim. And I'm being victimized. And even though that thing happened to you many years ago, you're still a victim. Somehow it's still repeatedly happening to you every day. But not because it's happening, but because you are dwelling on it. You're not releasing See, in order for you to move forward, you have to release people. If you can't release them, you will constantly be in bondage to them. They control you even though they don't even know they are. <laughs> but you have to release them. Releasing is forgiveness. And forgiveness, a lot of people say, well, I don't know if I want to talk to them. You don't need to talk to somebody for, to forgive them. You need to go to somebody. In fact, it's never in the scripture where you go to somebody and say, I just want to let you know I forgive you. Never. The Bible says that if they come to you and they repent, then it says, forgive them. But we're not talking about the act of, 
of, uh, of going to someone and saying, I forgive you. We're talking about a spirit of forgiveness. We're talking about a person that when things happen to them, they immediately in their heart, they give it to God and say, Lord, I forgive this person for what they've done. Do you understand that's all that you need in order for you to go forward for God? And what the other person does or does not do has nothing to do with really your life. (laughs) Now, if you care about them on the heels of that, you'll go to them and say, this is the way that you've hurt me. Now, you're not doing it at that point to exact vengeance on them because bitterness is you trying to get them to pay for what they've done. But you've already forgiven. So you're no longer wanting them to pay for what they've done. Now what you want to do is you want to talk to them, not for your sake, but for their sake. Now, if you can't go to that person because you love them and you want them to go forward for God, then you shouldn't go to them. If you still got the gavel in your hand and the judge's cloak on, you should stay away from them. Because you're not ready to meet them. You need to first deal with your idea of suffering. You need to release them. Amen? You don't go to people to exact judgment. You go to people to help them. Amen? I remember I had one person, she wanted me to line up this meeting where she could get with this other lady. Because she was so offended. And I said, no. I'm not going to sit there and be, be a referee in a wrestling match. I says, have you forgiven that person? Well, no, I need to talk to them. <laughs> no, you don't. You need to get right with God. See, you become the sinner. You can actually be the one that was innocent. They hurt you, but you became the guilty one because you harbored the bitterness and the anger towards them. And you're just as guilty before God as they are. (laughs) Why? You won't trust them. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But you look at God and say, I don't believe you. I need to go take care of this. (laughs) Suffering is you allowing things. Allowing them. Well, I just don't believe that's the right thing. Well, then I'm sorry. Then I wonder if you're saved. Because about 2,000 years ago, there was a man that was God that came and died on a cross of Calvary. And he had all kinds of offenses done to him. And he didn't deserve one thing for it. Yet he allowed the suffering. He even gave us the, he, he gave us what he could do. He says, guess what, guys? Do you not think that I could call now, uh, what was it, 12 legions? Was it 12 legions? 12 legions of angels. And they would not would come and deliver me. See, he had a way out. But he didn't take it. You see, that's our example. And that's the example he wants us to, to follow. See, forgiveness is going to be vital for you as you face the suffering of your Christian faith. I remember one time when I was, just after I was saved, and I was still struggling. I was struggling with cigarette smoking, different things. And I was trying, though. I really wanted to do the right thing. You guys ever been there? And your spirit, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I remember I, I tried for a while, and I quit, and then I started smoking again. And someone, I heard someone, uh, someone came to me and said, Hey, I talked to your coworker over there. They, they said, Oh, yeah, I thought he went straight, but no, he really didn't because I saw him smoking. And then I just got, Oh! 
Who is he? Now, he's living like the devil, man. Here I'm trying the best I can. But then it dawned on me, he's right. He's right. I'm naming the name of Christ. See, that was just a way for the Lord to say, do you see what I mean here? I understand you struggle, but you can't be going on struggling like this forever. There's a personal responsibility that you have to me as a child of God. And that became a motivator to me. Now I was motivated. Now I need to get rid of this thing, you know. And the Lord gave me perfect freedom from it, you know. Like he will you with whatever you I mean, if you say, I can't, you're just believing lies. You're believing lies. You're trying to do it in the flesh. But you know something? Suffering is going to happen. It's going to happen. That's why the Bible says, don't think it a strange thing when it happens to you. Don't look at, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> it should be like, oh, this again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm ex- I was expecting you. Hi, how you doing? Suffering. Strange thing, just like the Bible says about a strange woman. You know, I go with a strange woman. Strange woman isn't someone that's weird. <laughs> a strange woman is someone that God doesn't want you to be with. That is strange to you. Because God has chosen someone for you. And that one is the one that you ought to be content with. And anyone other than that one is a strange one. <laughs> Amen. So when he's saying, think it not a strange thing has happened to you, he says, don't think that that suffering isn't supposed to be there. It is. That's yours. It's not foreign. It's common. And it's necessary. Amen. He calls it a fiery trial. In John 15, verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, if you identify with Christ, Christ has been hated by everybody since the beginning of time. And if you identify with Christ, they'll hate you too. Amen? Unless you identify with a Christ that really isn't Christ. If you've got the biker Jesus, you have a whole bunch of people that will like you. If you've got the woke Jesus, you've got a whole bunch of people that will like you. But if you've got the real Jesus, then people won't like you. He was the Jesus that said it's better that a millstone be put around your neck and you cast into the sea than you offend one of these little ones. That's pretty harsh. You should have heard some of the messages. Folks, hell was mentioned far more times in heaven in the Bible and most of the time it was mentioned by Jesus. Gehenna. In fact, the word Gehenna, which is referred to the lake of fire, was the word that first came out of Jesus' mouth. He's the one that identified it as Gehenna. (laughs) He's not playing around. You start following the message of Jesus. You start following the person of Jesus. This world will not like you because it does not. Jesus does not like what this world is doing. Suffering with Christ requires the mind of Christ. This is the thing. In 1 Peter 4 verse 1 it says this. For as much then... As Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past, our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine. By the way, these are p- 
past things, not present things, Christian. If these things are in your life, they ought not be there. Lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Why aren't you coming to the parties anymore? What, you don't drink? Man, you used to drink. And then they put their pressure on you. Because they're putting, they're saying, you're not like you used to be. What's wrong with you? I had a guy tell me that once. Why aren't you coming down anymore? And I was honest. I'm going to tell you something. I says, I love you guys. But I'm a Christian. And I find it way too hard to be a Christian around you guys. He looks at me, he hung his head down. He says, I know what you mean. I didn't even know he was a Christian. We're all just hanging around together, doing the things that people do. The past life didn't move on from when you decide to move on, that's when they start asking you. They don't care about you until then. You understand? That's why the biggest problem with most people is their friendship base. The reason why you can't move forward is because you're scared of what your friends will say. You're scared about that boss that you've had all these years, what they're going to say. Your family members, your mother, your father. And they're keeping you from going forward. And in essence, you're saying, I'm not willing to suffer for Jesus. I know is uh, coming from the background that I come from, I baptized 150, maybe more people in the last 10 years, probably, or more. And with them in the Mennonite realm, they believe that baptism is related to salvation. In many circles there, especially the old colony, some of the Sommerfelter background as well. In fact, their catechism explicitly states that at the baptism, you are crossing over into the kingdom of God. It's very Catholic in its origin. And um, most of the times when you get a Mennonite couple that's coming out of one of these churches, one of these Mennonite churches, and they come and they, they get saved, and maybe they were saved before, but they've never been scripturally baptized, and they come to the church, and the Lord is convicting them of being baptized, to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, about being placed into his death and risen with him and so forth. They just want to do it the way Jesus did it, amen? But immediately the family rears up. I remember even my mother, she was baptized. She was poured on when she was younger. And then she decided to get scripturally baptized by immersion, which is the way Jesus did it in the Jordan River. Because the word baptism means to be fully overwhelmed or to be immersed. Amen? There's a doctrinal element to that. All right? And then the morning that she was going to get baptized, she had friends call her and say, if you do that, you're going straight to hell. Because they believe that if you have a second baptism, that somehow you are blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's the way they put it all together. But it's really not good Bible study at all. <laughs> it's bad theology. In fact, where it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, it's not talking about your water baptism. It's talking about the one time when you got saved, you were baptized into Jesus Christ. 
You were placed into his death at the cross. You were buried with him and you rose again. That can only happen one time in your life. Never to be repeated. Because once you've been placed into Christ, your debt has now been paid. When he saw Christ suffering on the cross of Calvary, he saw you in that suffering. And therefore, he says, now your payment has been paid in my son's payment. That's why it's important that you are baptized into his death. If you've not been baptized into his death, then you still have to pay your own death. But if you've been baptized into his death, then you've also were buried with him. And if you were buried with him, you've already, past tense, been risen with him. Ephesians chapter 2. It says you're already seated with him in the heavenlies, and that's a past tense term. It doesn't say you will be seated. It says you are already seated. (laughs) Because when you got saved, that's what the transaction was that, that took place. You were placed into Jesus Christ at the cross. His death was counted for your death because you were in him. You were buried with him. You rose with him. And now you have a resurrected life, whether you like it or not. Amen. And that's the security of salvation. So there's only one time that that can happen. One baptism. One faith, one Lord, and one baptism. Amen? Now, afterwards, in the local church, you're going to get baptized in water. We do it here. That's simply a testimony or a message to the people saying, guess what? I was a part of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the testimony that you give when you go in the water. And you identify with Jesus Christ in that way. And that's why many times when people come to me and they've been even baptized and they haven't even understood the real gospel, I say, you've never identified with the gospel. You've you've been confused all this time. You need to show these people that you are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In fact, that's where Baptists got their re-baptizer from, Anabaptists. The word Anna is the word re, or is the, the prefix re. So re-baptizers. We were called re-baptizers by the Catholic Church because what they would do is they would baptize babies at the eight-day period because they, and then they would, they would hold on to them and say, now you have entered into the church. So since they're a baby, they are a part of the Roman Catholic Church. They claim them for their own. But what happens is what God does, he gets involved in their heart. He gets the preaching of God's word to them. They get saved somewhere along the line. And now what? Do I hold to my infant baptism? No. Now you, ba- you, you testify of what just happened in your life by being scripturally baptized. Amen? So the, the Catholics would say, oh, you re-baptizers? I always say we ought not be called the Baptists. We ought to be called you Baptists. Because that's what usually people call us. You Baptists. <laughs> oh, you're just one of them Baptists. You Baptists. <laughs> you know? Folks, we were re-Baptists. In fact, Menno Simons, when he left the Catholic Church, was also included in the Anabaptist movement. Anabaptists, re-Baptizers. He was a part of the re-Baptizers. But today... One of the greatest persecutors of the Baptists are the Mennonite people, where I come from. They get, they get really mad at you, <laughs> you know, because you rebaptized. Well, that's where you came from. That was your heritage. Menno Simons left the Catholic Church. He broke off from them. He's, he was preaching in Baptist pulpits. Amen. 
But they don't teach them that, <laughs> you know. And so anyways, where was I going with all this? <laughs> good, good lesson anyways, amen. So you move on here. The Bible says to arm yourselves with the same mind. Arm means to furnish or prepare or to equip with arms. It's almost military. You have to, you have to uh, prepare your mind in a military sense for the suffering that's going to happen to you. Because you are a Christian that is seeking with all of his heart the will of God for your life. And that's why you're a, you're a militant. You're a soldier. When a soldier goes to the battlefield, they don't look at the battlefield. Oh, it looks too hard. I'm going to stay over here. Okay, Captain. The soldier arms himself. The soldier picks up the weapons. The soldier pushes forward. He trudges through the mud. He goes through the trenches. He dodges the bullets. He goes forward, forward, forward. We are not of those that go back to the lusts and lasciviousness and the ungodliness. We are those that go forward. And because of that, those around us will speak evil of you. I've always said, when you become a light of the Lord, you've started a campaign to shut off your light. And the thing is, people can do it. Many Christians have not armed themselves to suffer for Christ's sake. And you know what? They've had their light shut off. They're hanging around the barracks. They put their gun down. They put their sword down. They're no no longer pushing forward. We need God's people to be like the Apostle Paul, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, because as Paul looked on the battlefield, he saw someone ahead of him. He saw Jesus. And he saw Jesus arming himself and saying, friends, I'm all by myself here. I'm doing this. I'm, 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 I'm paving a way for you. I'm pushing through. I'm pioneering the trail. Follow me. Bear your cross. Take it up. Follow me. Every one of us have a cross to bear. But you have to take it up. It's not something you, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can go the rest of your life and leave your cross laying in the closet. Or you can take it up and arm yourself with a like mind and say, I'm done with the lust and the lasciviousness and the ungodliness of this world. And I don't care what they say. My friends, my family, I'm just going to do right. And they may hate me for a while, but I'm going to tell you something. They'll learn to love me as I go forward for God. And folks, by the testimony that I've seen from so many people, uh, when they're facing that baptism decision, that's what I was talking about and I got off on the baptism thing. <laughs> when they're facing that baptism decision, I would say, just do right. So you don't understand. They said they would stop letting the grandkids come over and they'd stop visiting the grandkids and they were shutting them down and cutting off the family and, and the picture, how could you say that? I'd say, do right. Do right. 
preacher, how can you be so bold to just say do right? Because I know when you do right, it is the right thing for everybody. Even if they think it's wrong. It's right. It's right. Even if they cut you off, it's still right for them. And in most of those situations, if not every one, one month later, they're inviting him over to the family gathering. The devil puts up a scary picture in front of you. He says, don't come here. Don't come here. And you, as a soldier of God, says, I'm coming right there. And when you find yourself there, you break through. And you'll find that that scary face was just simply a picture on very thin paper. And you break through. Hey, if there is something keeping you from going forward for God, you're not following Christ. You may think you are, but you're not. The Apostle Paul knew that in order to truly attain what God wanted for his life, he had to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He had to look ahead and see him on the battlefield and see all those that turned against him. And then by a willing decision of his own heart, purposely deciding, I'm walking into the fray. And there's not one person on this earth that's going to stop me. Whether it be my child, my wife, my husband, my grandfather, my family, my cousins, my employer, my paycheck. If they take away my job, I'm going into the fray alone. Because I'm not alone. I'm armed with the same mind as my Savior. You're never alone. That I may know him. Amen. I think we're alone because we're truly not knowing Christ. We're not walking with him the way we ought to. So let me ask you this. I got some more stuff. I'm going to just give you a couple points at the end here. What do you need to do? What, do you, what decisions do you need to make to truly fellowship with the sufferings of Christ? The first one is this. Be obedient to scripture. Yeah, that's the first decision. You have to make a decision that I will obey the word of God. Period. That's it. The Bible says this in John 17, 14. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It has to do with his word. His word. See, the first thing you need to do is make that decision. You don't first look at the battlefield and then say, I'll see whether I'll listen to my captain. You look at the captain and say, Captain, I'm going to listen to you. Then he'll say, go on to the battlefield. And there will be fear and there will be suffering, but I've committed myself to obey. Every soldier's like that. It's amazing what they do when they go into the battle. And the, and the leader just says, charge! And they're charging into an array of bullets and just whizzing by, and yet they're going forward. Why? Because they made a determination to obey what the captain said. 
Obey the word of God. That's your first decision. People don't like the Bible. Because the Bible tells people the way of God. It's God's way. Now, people don't like God's way. They like man's way. They like the way that they have. They like the way that that's been taught to them by their grandfather. Uh, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, because we just all have ways about us. But when you start telling them a very specific way that the Bible says, then they begin to react. They'll say things like this, don't shove that religion stuff down my throat. And all you really did was share with them what the Bible said. Because their reaction is to the word of God. So your first step has to be that I've determined that I'm going to obey the Bible because that is the source of the persecution here. The word of God. Amen? Second one is this. Be willing to suffer for your obedience. Be willing to suffer for it. Arm yourself with that mind already. In 1 Peter 2 verse 18 it says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, that means to the harsh, to the perverse. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when, what, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. Now, when you do something wrong and you get corrected and you know you did wrong, okay, I deserve the punishment. <laughs> You'll easily submit there. He says, but how much more will it be to the Lord when you submit patiently for when you didn't do something wrong? Amen. When it's somebody else's wrong. You understand? For even hereunto were you called You've been called that way because Christ also suffered for us. leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That means you really never have the justification to react harshly towards someone whether you deserve it or whether you don't deserve it. That's what the Bible says. Now, we've got a different way of thinking things. We think that if I don't deserve it, then I can punch you in the nose. God says, if you don't deserve it, take it patiently. Take it patiently. Let them hit you. They smite your cheek. Turn the other. Amen. If you're willing to suffer to follow Christ, you're not willing, you will not be an obedient child of God. So you can make a decision. I'm going to obey the Bible. But then know this, that with your decision of obedience, you have to make another decision to be willing to suffer for your obedience. If you're not willing to suffer, you're going to back out on your obedience. So there's two decisions, but they're really one. Amen? The third thing that we need to prepare ourselves with in relation to suffering is 
be ready with an answer of hope. Say, so what does that mean? Well, interesting, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing, not for evil-doing. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He took upon him the suffering that he didn't deserve so that he could bring us to God. You take the suffering upon you that you don't deserve so you can bring others to God. That's what it's about. You cannot live a woe is me life as God's child. The message of hope we have is given against the backdrop of suffering. Understand that. When you handle suffering right, and you're willing to become a partner in Christ's suffering, you may not be able to help the one that is hurting you. They're usually a scorner. They're usually evil at heart. And they want to see you destroyed. But if you will take it patiently, you will help those that see you handling it the way you are. And one day they'll come up to you as they see you suffering. How can you do it? And the Bible just says, be ready with an answer. Be ready with an answer. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you why I suffer. I'm going to tell you why I don't lash back. I'll tell you about my Lord. I'm going to tell you what he did for me. And the reason why I didn't lash back is for you. Because you needed to ask me a question and I gave it to you. See, your suffering is the basis of your evangelism. I know we go door to door. If you were to die today, that's great, let's do that. But you know some of your greatest evangelism, you know where it's going to be done? On how you handle the pressures of your life how you go forward in the midst of suffering, how you let nothing stand in your way, how that you do right, no matter what it costs, you do it if you have to stand alone. And one day you're going to have that person come to you and say, why? And you're going to be ready with an answer of hope. Amen? <laughs> There's a reason why Paul said that I may fellowship with your sufferings, because he knew that he had a message to give. <laughs> Amen? They're going to ask you, have that answer ready. The truth of Christ is carried on the back and in the heart of suffering saints. Suffering saints. If you're not suffering for Christ, you're a very poor witness. Very poor. 
You need to feel it. You need to know the loneliness of following Christ. You need to fellowship and partner with those hits and those words that are said against you. You need to know what it's like to have family members turn their back on you because you wanted to do the right thing. And that way, when you give that answer of hope, you will give them a heartfelt answer, something that had blood attached to it, not just Christ, but your own. Amen? And the fourth point, and I'm done, is be trusting in God's ability to take you through your loss. Be trusting. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Jesus did the same thing, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. You see, you have to understand this. When you go through suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're taking a stand on righteousness, not because of your bad attitude, not because of your your zeal and your inability to control yourself to people, because sometimes we as Christians can be annoying. (laughs) Amen? Let's not be annoying. Let's be gentle. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. We are not a foot in your door, Christian. We are a loving Christian, willing to take the hit for them. Amen? But the Bible says if you are suffering for righteousness' sake, what he says is, commit the keeping of your soul to him in well-doing. Say, Lord, I'm just going to keep doing right. And I know you're going to take me through. But you understand, it's costing me family members. You know what? Commit it to the Lord. You can't carry that. You can't carry the loss of family. You can't carry the loss of jobs. If it were all up to you, then I would say don't go forward for God. (laughs) But if it's up to a faithful creator, you know what I can tell you? It's going to be okay. Well, preacher, I need to be baptized. If I do, though, a lot of people are going to turn their back on me. You know what I'd tell you? Get baptized. That's the answer of faith. Because he's a faithful God. He will take you through. Your family members will come around. And if they don't, it doesn't matter. They'll come around sooner or later. (laughs) Whether it's here or there. And we don't live for here. We live for there. Amen? Are you really trusting the Lord to take you through these things? That is a part of the decision-making process that we need to make when we're saying, I want to be obedient to God. Because if you've got a line you're drawn, well, I'll be obedient, but if they do this, (laughs) what if Jesus would have said that? Oh, I'll go to the cross, but if they don't like me, they spit on me, if they lay a hand on me, I'm done. He had no such line. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, we got the example in the last chapter how that he humbled himself even unto the death of the cross. No line. No line. 
You know what we need Christians today? We need Christians that I'm going to be obedient with no line. I draw no line. If it takes my life, no line. Arm yourself. Arm yourself with the same mind as Christ. Amen? And I'll guarantee you that decision to be obedient to the things of God is going to carry you right through into glory. Amen? And you're going to see the Lord, and he's going to look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You suffered just like I did, and I'm so happy for you. And he'll give you the blessings. Do you know that your position in the millennial reign will be completely based upon your suffering for Jesus? He says, you will reign with him if you suffer for him. That means if today you're backing up because you don't want to get someone mad, because you don't want to ruffle the feathers, (laughs) the Lord says, you can do that and you're still saved but you won't be reigning with me. I need some real soldiers to reign. If I cross the battlefield, you know who's going to get the position? Those that were right on my tail. You get that? That's reward. That's not salvation. And then there's crowns that he places on us that we'll be able to give back to him in honor of him being the reason why in the first place. Oh, what an important doctrine we have here, the doctrine of suffering. Folks, be obedient. Be willing to suffer. Be ready with an answer. And be trusting that God will take you through. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Christian, this message is for everyone in this room. I know it. Not one of us can say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody here. You face it every day. You face it in your little decisions. You face it in your family dynamics. You face it on the workplace. You face it with your boss, your coworkers. It's time to arm ourselves. It's time to make a decision. It's time to say, you know what? I'm settling this once and for all that I am a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ and I will go onto the battlefield and I will take the hits. I'm going to follow my Lord and nothing will stand in my way and there is no line I will draw because the devil will meet it. If you.